Dave. Tonight we're looking in the book of Mark. We've been studying in the book of Mark. We're in chapter 3 this evening. It's treasures from the book of Mark. We've been reading from a text found in verse number 13. We'll return there tonight. Mark 3, 13. He goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, that he might send them forth to preach and have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. And Simon, he surnamed Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder, and Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, and they went into a house. Father, would you touch us not to preach the word of God in the power and in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Speak to the hearts of believers tonight. Help us to receive your engrafted word. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we study through the book of Mark chapter 3, God stopped us when we came upon this list of disciples to study and find out more about them and their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we have, there can be no doubt that we can relate with these men. It's as if we're looking into a mirror as to who we really are when we study the lives of these men. Why, preacher Darren, these are stained glass saints. These are men that we put upon a pedestal. These are the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, yes, but they were common, ordinary men. They were rugged, rough, raw men when Jesus called them into a place of service. And tonight, we're looking in verse 18 at the one in the middle of that verse by the name of Thomas. And I want to preach on this thought tonight. Thomas, the doubting disciple. Now, there's no doubt that many of you already know that because Thomas has a reputation that precedes him. He has a reputation that every one of us can really identify with him. Thomas the doubter. As I begin to think about his life, there are three things I think God wants us to point out tonight as it relates to Thomas and his walk with the Lord and as we study through the book of Mark, what God would have us to understand. First of all, I want us to think about the price that he paid. The price that we, he paid. Now, as I look through the scripture, I don't necessarily see his individual salvation, but I know right here that he's called. Amen. In fact, you read it in Matthew. It has a list of the disciples. It, it's in, found in Mark. It's found in Luke. And it's found in Acts. In four places, Thomas is listed amongst the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no debating that. Do you know what the word, the name Thomas means? Everybody, your name means something. The name Thomas, do you know what it means? Twin. And in fact, in John's gospel, three times he called Thomas, who is also known as, or called as Didymus. Didymus, what does that mean? It's Aramaic. It's a word for twin. So there it is, twice. Thomas the twin. Did you know that Thomas was a twin? Now, According to everything I read in the Bible, his twin is never mentioned in Scripture. Twins always live in 
close association. In fact, they've been living together nine months before they was ever born. Amen. Oftentimes, twins, as they associate, they function together. And the will of God has separated Thomas from his twin. The call, the divine call of Almighty God has, has uh, separated him from his twin. I'll read a verse of scripture. It's found in Mark 8, so you're close. Look at Mark 8, verse 34. The Bible says, Jesus' words, middle of the verse, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What he's saying is that the call, the divine call of God, is the highest calling of all callings, and it means that it transcends any earthly relationship. It is better, bigger, beyond any earth relationship that you may have with a friend or with a family member. In fact, while you're near, turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter number 14. Luke chapter 14 and verse number 26. This is what Jesus said. What a statement. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be not my disciple. Do you see that? If you don't hate your father, your mother, your brothers, your sister, and your own life also, you cannot be his disciple. Preacher, I hate my family? Here's what he's saying. Your love for God should be so great that your love for your family looks like hate. Let me say that again. Preacher, I didn't get it. He said hate my family. What he means is your love for God is so great that the love you have for your family pales in comparison to the love you have for God. Oftentimes we put our family first but we're supposed to put God first. Look at the price Thomas paid. Thomas has always been associated with his twin. I don't know if it was a sister or a brother. We're not told that, but their lives functioned together until the call of God separated Thomas away from his twin. May I just stop and point out, Simon Peter had Andrew, his brother. James had John, his brother. You may say those boys paid a price. But yeah, they left the fishing business. They left their daddy in the fishing boat and went off fishing, but they still got their brother. Thomas is separated from his twin. And hear me, there may be a price that you have to pay in serving Jesus Christ. There is always a cost if we're going to serve the Lord. The world may turn its back on you. Thomas paid a huge price. Number one, there's the price that he paid. Number two, there's the position that he assumed. Now, you're looking back in Mark chapter 3. If you'll notice with me, there are four, excuse me, three different groups of disciples, and they're in fours. Three times four is 12. The first four always starts with Peter, and then it lists James and John, his brother, and Andrew, that's the starting four. Then you have the middle group. It always starts with Philip, and here it is 
Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas that followed. Thomas is in the middle group. He is always listed. When you go through the scriptures in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, he's always listed sixth, seventh, or eighth in the list. He is always in the second group. He's flexible. He's versatile. He's willing to adapt to change. He plays the position that is needed at that time. Being in the middle, he links to the first group, to the last group. He links the last group to the first group. He is someone that is not out on an island by himself. He's not in a cubby hole, not willing to serve and minister. He is there willing to make a connection, willing to do anything. If somebody's out not to lead singing, he's willing to lead singing. Amen? If somebody's not there to sing a solo, he's willing to sing a solo. If somebody's there not, not, not to preach, he's willing to preach if asked and given an opportunity. Amen? He is willing to do those things. Sometimes we think about Thomas and we kind of somehow misunderstand who Thomas really was. Yes, he's a doubter, but there's some good qualities that he has in his life as well. And may I just take time to point out your doubts to you tonight? Before you judge Thomas and point fingers at him, he doubted, he doubted, he doubted. Well, you do too. In fact, you got doubts sitting here right now tonight about some things. I'm not doubting that Jesus Christ is the Savior, but sometimes I doubt he's going to answer a prayer for me. You ever been there, amen? Thomas was someone who's willing to serve no matter what. He's very flexible. There was a, uh, a, a placard, a sign that was on former President Ronald Reagan's desk. This is what he said. It is amazing how much work gets accomplished when you do not care who gets the credit. Thomas was that kind of person, amen. He just assumed any, and filled in any position that needed to be filled, any function that needed to take place. He was your guy. He's going to jump right in the middle of it. So there's the position that he assumed. He's willing to play any position. He's willing to wear any hat. Uh, I remember the great conductor who was asked, what is the hardest instrument to learn to play in your great orchestra? He said, that's easy. It's second fiddle. If we don't have a second fiddle, we don't have harmony in our entire orchestra. Some of us would be well served to learn how to play second fiddle and quit having to be first place all the time. My third point, and I'm done, but we may bog down here a bit. Number three, there is the passion that he showed. Now, every time you see him in the book of John, he's being called Didymus, and we're seeing things about him. I want to just stop and point this out tonight. That Thomas disguised his doubt by his discipleship. Now these young men that are called of the Lord are entrusted with the great task of preaching the gospel. And in fact, the Lord gave all 12 of them power to cast out demons and power to heal the sick. I didn't get an amen in the house, so I'm going to re-say it. God gave those 12 disciples the great ability to go out and preach the gospel. God gave those disciples the great ability to cast out demons. 
God gave those disciples the great ability to heal the sick. It's all over the scripture what ability God gave them. But every time Thomas goes out and when people are saved or, or people are healed, he is absolutely amazed every time at God's ability to do it because he was a doubter. He would stand up and preach and he would doubt the results. He would go out and get ready to heal somebody and say, oh, Lord, I'm trying to trust you, Lord. I, I, I want to believe, Lord. And, and the Lord would work through him anyway. And it's amazing how God still works through you. It's amazing how God still answers your prayer requests. With the way you doubt, the way I doubt, you sit right here tonight and say, hey man, preacher. But here's the thing. You, like Thomas, he disguised his doubts. Nobody knew he was doubting by his discipleship. You just look at him and say, man, he's one of the 12 disciples. He's got it all together. I look at your discipleship tonight, and I think you got it all together. But the truth of the matter is, you don't. You, I'm freaking out, Richard. I don't have everything together. I'm 68 years old. I'm 23. I'm 14. I'm 57 years old. I'm freaking out, Richard. Let me just tell you tonight, doubt is uncertainty. It is an unsettled opinion. It is a lack of conviction. It is unbelief. No doubt, Thomas was absolutely amazed at every miracle that God did. So am I. I'm absolutely amazed. How much greater, will you hear me for a second? How much greater would our relationship be to God if we would just admit to him our doubts? Thomas started trying to disguise his doubts under the title of his discipleship so nobody would know. But do you think Jesus knew? Yes, he did. Now we're going to John's Gospel, chapter number 11. Stay with me now. John, chapter number 11. Don't go to sleep. John, chapter number 11. We read in this text, Now, verse 1, a certain man was sick named Lazarus. Oh yeah, preacher, and I heard about him. Lazarus of Bethany. He had two sisters, Mary and Martha. Verse 3 says, His sisters sent unto Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom thou lovest, Lazarus, is sick. Now, Jesus is not in Jerusalem. They're in Bethany. It's two miles away. Jesus is out in the desert in the wilderness on the other side of Jerusalem. The last time in the last chapter when he was in Jerusalem, they tried to stone him to death and his disciples. And he left. He withdrew himself. He thought, this is not my time to go to the cross he withdrew himself. It's not my fight right now. He withdrew himself and went to the desert place. While he's there, word comes that Lazarus is sick. Verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I have a question. Did Jesus love them? Verse 6, when he heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. What? He hears someone that he loves is sick, and for two days 
He don't even move after he hears about it. Doesn't Jesus love them? Doesn't Jesus care? Doesn't Jesus have time for them? When actually Jesus does love this family. And Jesus is always right on time. The Bible says in verse 7, Then after that he saith to his disciples, Let us go again into, into Judea. Let's skip down to verse 14. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Uh-oh. He's waited around too long. It's too late. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us go also go that we may die with him. And nobody said a word. Completely awkward. Everybody gulped and swallowed hard. Peter, outspoken, didn't say a thing. James and John, wanting to call fire down on villages and burn them up, never said a word. Thomas is disguising his doubt by his devotion. Let us also go with him that we may die with him. You hear what he's saying? The Lord has just withdrew from an event that probably would have been a battle and a fight. He's on the other side of Jerusalem. Word comes. Jesus waits. Now he's too late. Lazarus is dead. Why go now? It's too late. Jesus said, let us now go into Judea. What? Let us now go. We're going to go right through Jerusalem, right back through that battle, and two miles to the other side to get to Bethany. Thomas is thinking, we just escaped a battle, and now we're going right through the middle of it. This is absolutely absurd. I want to point this out tonight. Thomas is scared to go back through Jerusalem. Thomas believes this is a death trap. Let us also go that we may die with him. Lazarus is already dead, and the rest of us are going to be dead if we go over there to see him. It's not. He has got a melancholy perspective and the way he worded it would imply that, oh, wow, he's got devotion. He's committed. He's going with the Lord. Let us go that we may die with him. That sounds like he's totally committed to the cause, right? But the way he worded it, it's really doubt with a disguise of devotion with it. it hear me. He suffers from melancholia. Melon means black. Colia means disease. He has a gloomy outlook. Woe is me. Down in the dumps all the time. Here's what he's really trying to do. He's trying to discourage Jesus from going through Jerusalem and going to Lazarus' house. It's too late. Lazarus is already dead. Let me just point it out to you. You said it, Lord. Lazarus is dead. If we go, we're going to die with him. Let us go that we may also die with him. Can you just see him? He's a pessimist. If you ask him, Thomas, is the glass half full or half empty? He'd say, it leaks. 
Thomas, how do you feel? Well, I feel bad. Well, he really feels good because he's afraid he'll feel worse when he feels better. He's just disguising his doubt by his words of devotion. And the Lord, verse 17, then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. We know what happened. The Lord raised Lazarus back to life. Thomas did not impede him. Thomas did not stop him. None whatsoever. He continued right on. Will you hear me for a second? I'm telling you, Thomas is disguising his doubt by his discipleship. And he stands up to testify and to give witness. And he's disguising his doubts by his words of devotion. Do you do that? Thirdly, I want to go to the book of John chapter 14. John chapter 14. At the Last Supper, Jesus observed the Passover feast with his disciples. And once again, Jesus tells them that the Son of Man is going to be crucified and lay down his life on the cross. He washed the disciples' feet. He gave the salt to Judas as Judas said, Is it I, Lord? Thou hast said. And Thomas went out that night into the darkness of night. The devil had filled his heart to betray the Lord. To the other eleven that stayed, Jesus had the last supper with them. Peter says to the Lord, Lord, you said you're going to go away. Where are you going? And the Lord said, Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brother. What did he pray for him? He said, I prayed that your faith fail not. The Lord's praying tonight that your faith fails not. Okay? That your faith would be strengthened. Amen. That's what the Lord's praying for you tonight. And so we know what happened. Peter said, Lord, I'm with you to go to death, even unto death. Before the cock crew that night, he would end up denying the Lord. Now here's Jesus in John 14. This is the next chapter. He's going to try to give words of truth to help his disciples. Let's read verse 1. Jesus said to him in that upper room, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You know why they were upset? Jesus is going to die. They don't know what's going to happen. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe in me also. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go, I go, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way, you know. Verse 5, look who spoke. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Now, it sounds like Thomas is saying, Lord, I don't want to miss heaven, and I'm determined to make it, Lord. I'm determined to make it. His doubt is being disguised by determination. Lord, I don't want to miss out. But here's what he's really saying. Lord, this all sounds good. 
too good to be true. And there's no way we'll ever make it. Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? Do you see that? He sees the bad side of everything. He's a pessimist. Jesus spoke to him, verse 6. I'm glad he did. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Lord said, I'm going away. I'm going to prepare a place for you, Lord. How can we know the way? Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we get there, Lord? Now, stay with me for a second. He's speaking from a bewildered, doubting heart. Listen to his doubt. Hear Jesus' assurance. Now, I want you to listen to this. Thomas questions, Lord, how can we be saved? Jesus said, I'm the way. <laughs> Thomas questions, Lord, how can I be sure I'm the life? <laughs> Lord, how can I be satisfied? I am the life. Woo, read it again. How can I be saved? I'm the way. How can I be sure I'm the truth? How can I be satisfied? I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Lord realized his doubts and he gave him assurance. What about that? He's continually working in Thomas's life to give him assurance amidst his doubts. He's disguised his doubts by discipleship. He's disguised his doubts by devotion. He's disguised his doubts by determination. And all three times, the Lord is going to give him assurance and encouragement every single time. And then in chapter 20, same thought continues. Chapter 20, Jesus went to that cross. He was crucified. The spear and the nails did not kill him. He had the power to lay down his life, and he had the power to take it up again. He truly gave his life. No one took it from him. His blood shed. He died. They took him off that cross. They buried him in a lowly grave. They rolled a stone in front of the door. And Thomas was so crushed and he was so devastated. Don't you know that he said, I knew this day would come. I knew it was too good to be true. I told all y'all, sooner or later this was going to happen. It's over now. Our Lord is dead. The Bible says that on a Sunday evening that the disciples were gathered in the upper room behind locked doors. Here's what happened earlier that morning. Early that morning, those women came bearing spices to the tomb of Jesus. When they got there, the stone was rolled away. The guards were laying there as dead men. The angel said, you seek Jesus? He's not here. He's risen as he said. Behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. Jesus is alive. And those women went running back. They told Peter and John, Jesus is alive. He's not there. And all oh, listen. Them boys come down there running and seeing the linen clothes and the napkin laying by itself. 
and the stone rolled away and nobody of Jesus, I'm telling you, they were bewildered. What's going on? And now, on the Sunday night service, what night service was it? Sunday night service. They, 11, are in an upper room behind doors that are locked because they're afraid. People's going to say we stole him. People's going to say we did this. Boys, what are we going to do? They're in a panic-stricken mode. Except there's one person missing that night. There's not 11. There's 10. Thomas was not there. Thomas was so crushed and so devastated, he said, boys, I'm done with this business. I, I, I told you that all my fears and all my worries and all my doubts had come true, and I'm not going back. Now read with me in John chapter 20, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the disciple, excuse me, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them, Again, peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, I like this part, he breathed on them. Hey man, you got to be pretty close to somebody for them to breathe on you. He breathed. You know what we need? We need a fresh breath from heaven. He breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they're remitted unto them. Whosoever sins you retain, they're retained. Now look with me, verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. In other words, he was not there that night. Verse 25. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We've seen the Lord. You ought to have been there Sunday night. What a service. Man, we were sitting there. It was dead as dead could be. We tried to sing, but there was no life. We tried to read scripture, nothing happened. We were all afraid. We were all scared. We were panic-stricken. And Thomas, you ought to see him, man. Through locked doors, Jesus just whoop, walked in and said, Peace be unto you. We were freaking out. He walked right up to us, and he said, Behold my hands and my side and my feet. And we saw the wounds, the nail scar. We saw them. And listen, Thomas, wake up, son. He breathed on us, dude. He breathed on us and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Thomas said, I don't believe it. Read your Bible. Verse 25. I mean, them boys are absolutely pumped. Have you ever been in a service and you were excited to death? And you got out of service and you seen somebody at the restaurant or a family member and you said, man, what a service. You ought to see so-and-so got rekindled today. So-and-so got saved. We've had a time. God's met his people. I don't believe it. Look what he said. Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side I will not believe. Thomas was not there. 
I wonder where he was. I wonder if he felt any conviction at all about not being with the other disciples in the Sunday night service. When they were meeting, I wonder if he felt any conviction at all. Come in, come in. Zoom, zoom in real tight here, fellas. I wonder if you feel any conviction at all about missing the service that God showed up in a mighty way and would have dispelled all your doubts and kicked all your fears right in the face and defeated them all. And where were you when the service and the Lord showed up? Where were you? I'm just, I'm just asking you a legitimate question. When Walmart in Marion used to be in its prior location down Highway 70, my wife and I has gone to Wendy's. We were in the drive-thru, and I seen thousands and thousands of birds flying through the sky, and all of a sudden they started diving into the parking lot at Walmart, and they started, and they hit and bounced. Boom. I mean, some probably killed some of them. And I said, oh, man, what they, they're committing bird sight. What are they doing? What are they doing? We got our food. I went back. I, went, I, was so, I, was so, I was blown away. I went all the way back, and I, I took pictures. I said, what in the world are they doing? And I looked at those birds. Are y'all listening to me? They were seagulls. Seagulls in Marion. They were out of place. They thought the parking lot was water. And being out of place, boom, boom, boom. They were getting pretty messed up. That's what happens to you when you're not where you're supposed to be. The very night, the very time, things would have helped you, minister to you, God would have sent you relief, you decide, oh no, I'm going to go look at leaf blowers. Uh, there's a good sale down at the Home Depot on leaf. I'm picking that out on purpose because I know somebody that missed the service to go get a brand new leaf blower. I hope it blows up. So they'll learn a lesson that leaf blowers are not more important than being in the house of God. Where are you? Where should the believer be? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. The other disciple said, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas, you know what I think? He's on, he's, got a, he's on the cold water committee. I don't believe it. Unless I see it for myself, I don't believe it. And you know what? There are those amongst us that if I called on you, you'd stand and lead us in a word of criticism. You would be the very one to say, I'm going to lead you in a word of discouragement. But now we're talking about Thomas here. He's a pretty smart cookie. He's been hiding and disguising his doubt. He's the guy that says, hey, I am going to help somebody. I'm going to give water to somebody in need. They're drowning, and I'm going to give them water. Oh, wait a minute. A drowning man don't need water. He needs a helping hand. He's got enough water already. And some of us thinks the way to encourage somebody is by discouraging them. Are y'all okay with that statement? Preacher Darren, you're about to make me mad. Well, I got you now. 
the one place that would have helped him with his doubt and depression, he avoided. Maybe he thought, maybe he thought, I'm not going down there with those disciples because Simon Peter will be there. And we all know what Simon Peter did. He cussed. And he denied the Lord three times. And I'm not being affiliated with that bunch of deniers. And I'm not going back. I'm too good for that. Y'all zoom in again. Maybe you don't like the preacher. Maybe you don't like so-and-so who's sitting here. But at least they're here. And we're not perfect. And we never claim to be. And if you showed up, we wouldn't be perfect. We'd be less than perfect. Amen? But I'm telling you, Thomas, your place is in the house of God. Your place is serving God. Y'all hear me? Well, I just don't think nothing's going to happen. Doubter, doubter, doubter. When you come to church, you ought to be looking for Jesus to do something, expecting him to show up, expecting him to serve, to, 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 to be a blessing and to hear prayer requests for his people. He's going to meet their needs. You're dedicated to Jesus, you say, but you can't prove it. He's disguising his doubt by his dedication. I'm dedicated to the Lord. I won't believe it unless I see it. That's just amazing. Verse 26. And after eight days, I counted up. That's the next Sunday night. Count it. Eight days. Eight is the number of new beginnings. After eight days, again his disciples were within. And Thomas was with them. Finally he said, you know what? I'll go down there with you boys. The Lord's dead and I know it. He's not alive like you say. I'm going to attend your old service. I want to hear your old dead singing. I want to hear your old dead preaching. I'm going to sit there and I'm just going to cross my arms and say, there ain't nothing to this, but I'll be there just so you don't try to pull me down anymore. I'm tired. As if the preacher carries a list in his pocket. He finally shows up. And when he's there, sitting there thinking nothing's happening, then, you looking at it? Came Jesus. The doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Same thing he told them before. But now look at verse 27. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. Why do you think he told Thomas individually that? What do you think? Well, Peter must have told on him. I believe it was Matthew, you know. He never said a whole lot, but maybe he told on him. No. The Lord knows your doubts. The Lord knows your melancholy. The Lord knows your pessimism. The Lord knows that you need faith. He said, right to Thomas. Thomas, give me your hand. Give me your fingers. But listen, be not faithless, but believing. Look at his profession right here. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Notice with me, he did not say, You are the Lord. You are God. He said, My Lord. 
my God. Here's a guy that was a doubter who's just went, listen, those are the my Lord and my God. Five words, number of grace. Five, he's gone from doubting to shouting. When was the last time you just said, Lord, you're my Lord and my God. And I believe you. Thomas was there that night when he entered the service eight days later. And I could read to you out of Luke 24, I won't. But at Bethany, Jesus was received up into heaven. Two men in white apparel said, This same Jesus, which was so taken in like manner into heaven, shall come as you've seen him go. Thomas was there, heard the whole thing. Thomas would go on to preach the word of God. A, a, a legend uh, and, 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 uh, would, would tell us that he went off into India. And guess what? As he preached, and one of the village chiefs rebuked him and arrested him and said, if you don't reject Jesus, I'll run you through with a spear. Run you through with a spear. Take your hand. Thrust it into my side. Because soon, you're going to die believing me. No more doubts. You're going with me all the way. So here's the thing. You and I must admit, I'm saved. Are you saved? Eight people saved tonight. We've got a big crowd here tonight, so I'm expecting some great things. Are you saved? Thomas had a twin. Are you him? Thomas had a twin. Are you her? I got to looking in the mirror. And I think I am his twin. I think I disguise my doubt by dedication, by devotion, by discipleship. I think I try to disguise my doubt. And the Lord knows about it the whole time. And only the Lord confronted his doubt. Only when the Lord confronted his doubt and he really admitted it, did he get help. Now we've been studying Mark. And if you got your Bibles real quick, just in closing, I want to read just a couple things. In Mark chapter number 6, we're going to go fast. Mark chapter number 6, verse number 5. Mark 6, verse number 5. And he, speaking about Jesus, and he could do no mighty work. Excuse me. He there, he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. You see unbelief? Doubts can hinder the work of God in your life. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Here's a man who's bringing his son to the disciples who have power to heal. And when they start dealing with the boy, they can't heal him because they thought they could do it but not do it by faith. They thought it was their ability, but it was really their faith in God's ability to get it done. And they could not heal him. And Jesus had come down from the mountain and said, what's going on? He said, I brought my son to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And if thou canst do anything, if, they just said, if Jesus, if Jesus can do anything. Honey, don't you put the if on Jesus. Don't put the if on him. Verse 23, Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. 
Don't put the if on Jesus. The if is on you. If you can believe. Straightway, he's dealing with his doubts. Straightway, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Before Jesus did anything for the boy that had a demon in him going around cast on the ground, Jesus did something for his father first. You got prayer requests, don't you? You got things you want to see God do in people's lives. Honey, he's wanting to do something for you first. Then you'll get a hold of them. But he's trying to confront you and me about our doubts. Our vision is from the Lord. And God's vision that he gives us will only be hindered by our unbelief. And when he confronts our unbelief and we confess our unbelief and say, Lord, you're right, I believe you, help thou my unbelief, then he'll do something. Help us, Lord. My sister-in-law, she sat right here. She prayed for her children to be saved, prayed and begged God. I mean, just needing a miracle. And finally, one Sunday morning, she busted a move to the altar. Boom, right here. She motioned for me to come over. She said, Darren, I've lied to you. I told you I saved. I've never been saved. I told you I was going to heaven, preacher Darren. I'm, uh-uh. I'm a counterfeit. I'm a liar. I'm a phony. And she started begging God to forgive her of her sins and to save her soul right in that place. She said, the Lord showed me that he's not going to save my children until he saves me first. He's going to do something, and I just preached along these lines. He's going to do something in my life before he does something to answer the prayer requests of my life. Can you identify with that tonight? What is he trying to do in your life before he answers those prayer requests that seem so important to you? Hello? Mark chapter 11. I'll read one more place and I'm done. Mark 11, verse 22. Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shalt not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. I'm just going to be honest. I got help. Study the word of God. Prepare for this message tonight. I got help. Lord, I've been praying. I've been praying so long. God, I've been burdened. God said, let me deal with your doubts first. Then let's discuss your prayer request. You stand on your feet. Miss Beverly, would you come play? I just feel like, listen, it's wet over here. Don't come up here to the altar unless you're willing to get wet. Don't come up here to the altar unless you're willing to have prayer requests answered. Don't come up here to the altar unless you're willing to soak a while and say, God, I'm the doubter. Lord, I want your help. And again, maybe somebody does need to get in the water. Amen. I don't know. Somebody might need to get in it. Come on right now. Pray and seek God's face. God spoke to you. He spoke to me. I'm telling you, he spoke to me. I don't want to disguise my doubting, my determination. God, tonight, 
Lord, as we bow in your presence, Lord, we confess to you our sinfulness. Oh, yes, you've saved us. Oh, yes, you're God. You're my Lord and my God. Oh, yes, Father, I know you've saved me. But, Lord, there are times when I pray, and I pray so lighthearted, and I do not pray a prayer of faith believing, but I pray, and when I get up, oftentimes to my flesh and my mind and my heart, I begin to immediately begin to ratify why that will never happen. Oh, God, forgive us. Lord, we believe that you'll do it for others, but do we believe you'll do it for us? God, we're asking not for miracles. God, we're in touch tonight, Lord, of an answer from God. Lord, you know what's on my heart, what's on my mind right now. You know. God, I'm praying for the miracle, life-giving ability of the Holy Spirit to enter this place and move and breathe upon us and blow. Come down, North Wind, and blow upon my garden. Help us, God, to hear from heaven. Save souls. Encourage hearts. Breathe life, God, I pray. Do a work that only you can do for this body of people that's called the church, the separated, called out church of the most high living God. Lord, I'm asking God to do a work. And God, we come to you confessing of our old, frail, corrupt, stinking, rotten flesh. Forgive us of it, God, I pray. And help us, God. Faith dispels doubt. Get in the Word and pray. It dispels doubt. Touch us, God, I pray. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.